clapboard and we are back once again <laughs> and it is august can you believe it is august yeah i think we're in show 31 now wow or something what like, month did we start then january january 5th was our inaugural show oh, wow yeah so we yeah. are moving along smartly we got a lot more shows to do we got a lot of stuff today coming up today is one of our busier days three interviews right We've got three at 11.15. I know everybody's probably wondering, where have our L.A. Film Festival future filmmakers gone? Well, as we mentioned last week, they've been all over the place. Natalia's been in Italy. Mm-hmm. Um, some of our other filmmakers have been working on other projects, taking family vacations before they start college. And they're making films, too. And Well, right? and as we're so. going to find out at 11.15 when Carol Nguyen calls, Carol did a, a short film at L.A. Film Festival called How Do You Pronounce Faux? Mm. It was the winner of the Ed Elias Future Filmmaker Awards special mention for animated experimental film. Okay. She was a proud recipient of a hundred bucks. Uh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, nice. Nice. It is. It is a good film. Is isn't it? Great film about what makes one authentic. Yes. So it really, I really liked it. And then so, she's all yeah. excited because she's got another film that she just finished within mm. the past week. Uh, called Silent Mourners that I am in love with. And as you pointed out, as Jordan pointed out, very eyes wide shut. Very surreal. Very surreal. And when you watch the video later this week, you'll see, you know, edit inserts uh, depicting that. But also you will see behind us today, we have images from three of Carol's movies. Then we have images from two of the other movies with the filmmakers we're going to talk to today. Uh, you were inspired to put put up those photos in the morning, right? You just came up with the idea. This is what I this is what I do at four thirty in the morning. You're visualizing the show. I was yeah because yeah. you know me, I like visual aids, mm-hmm. yeah. and yeah. I don't want to keep doing Marvel superhero stuff. Right. So right. Uh, <laughs> even though Marvel is very colorful and right. lovely, right? But why not pull some stuff from the actual films? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And at eleven thirty, we've got Alex Johnson joining us, uh, the writer director of Two Step, which. It's a pot boiler. Pot boiler. A yes. slow, a very slow languid pot boiler has a great bodes a great performance with Beth Broderick, who I have always loved her work. And it's a very atmospheric thriller. Very much yeah. so, and it really embraces yeah. Texas, which is where mm-hmm. Alex is from, and I think the film debuted at South by. Okay. So it makes sense, and then eleven forty five, we have a very interesting film called They Look Like People. And instead of the director, because he's actually off working today, okay, um, we're going to have the co-producers and the stars of the film, Evan Dumichel and McLeod Andrews, who are going to be joining us. This premiered at Slam Dance. It is also going to be showing Sunday night at the ArcLight Slam Dance Cinema Club. Uh, so That's I will not. Interesting. It's kind of like a genre hybrid film. It really is. Yeah. I mean, it gives me. I get the same kind of sensibility, and it's got high polish to it. Right. In many respects, um, and the and uh, Perry, the filmmaker, he did all. He did the cinematography himself, the editing mm. himself, wrote, directed. So I'm curious to, to find out from the boys how this all worked, having. Essentially, just the three of them and one or two other people involved in this production. Wow. It really harkens, for my money, it harkens back to uh, what Shane uh, Carruth did back in 2004 with Primer. Which, That's which, if you haven't seen it... It's high praise, actually. Have you seen Primer? I've seen uh, Sh- Carruth's li- 
Um, this next one after that, what was it called? I forgot what it was called, but that was really good. It was really huge, actually. I forget, but yeah, yeah Primer was the first, and I fell in love with his work, and it was very out there, very psychological, and that's exactly what we have with They Look Like People. You know, this is not a pejorative, but you you look at the production design and kind of the DIY filmmaking mm-hmm. and you, you think, wow, what would this what would these filmmakers and actors do with so much more money? Well and it still works as yeah. its budget with a micro budget and you go, wow, some studio has to give this filmmaker some money. But you know the thing the problem then becomes and I've talked to a lot of directors about this. Right. You know, for what they make, the creative creativity that comes forth yeah. in these micro budget, low budget, no budget productions. Mm-hmm. Would they have done some? I've asked, would you have done anything different if you had more money? And they said, probably not, because it was the creativity, right? It was not having the money that spurred the creativity to bring out the best that they could offer. And I think that happens, we've seen that happen over the years once filmmakers get money. We're not going to name names, we're not naming names. Well, one day I probably will, (laughs) but today we're not going to name names, but it. You see certain directors, once they start getting money, it's wasted on screen. It's like where you're not delivering what you used to give us. The imagination isn't there. The creativity, the originality is not there. But I guess it's also kind of creatively understandable because of, as you and I know, it's all by committee now with a higher ramp up Mm -hmm. with the budget. Unless you're someone like – even a guy like a Steven Soderbergh with more money, he suffered – uh, creatively the first couple of times and he had to actually go back yeah. and find his inspiration. Find himself again. Again. And then he's one of the few filmmakers who can balance between the two. So yeah. it's a hard so, transition. So that's one reason I love talking to these first time feature directors, these first these when they're young in their career. Yeah. Yeah. To before they get jaded, before they get corrupted <laughs> by the system, where where they're still allowed to think for themselves and stand up for their principles. Right. But you know from both films that the directors have a very, not just a visual stamp, but they both have an aesthetic that you can really Very, very much so. This is their story. This is their film. This is their genre. And both of them are very tensely paced movies. So, I mean, they really are. But you you have a couple fun things you brought in today. Yeah. You know what? Um, There's a couple movies I saw yesterday. The first one, I think you've seen it, Adult Beginners. I think it's adorable. Yeah. You know, I, I was surprisingly touched by this movie it's nick kroll from the league he plays a startup guy who loses all his money mm-hmm. and he has to move back home to his westchester county uh residence and he moves in with his sister played by rose byrne and his brother-in-law bobby cannavale cannavale yeah. is that how you pronounce yeah. it but it, you know you think with nick kroll it's going to be some cutesy charming comedy with just a bunch of laughs and it's forgettable but i was surprisingly moved by kind of the subtext of it they both you know they lost their their mother Mm -hmm. and the best parts of adult beginners comes from i guess the emotion the emotion and as the brother sister rebonding and then bobby cannavale i've got to say this this has been his year yeah i mean danny collins adult beginners um spy which was totally yeah yeah i haven't seen either of those films he was so Andy Garcia. Oh, really? Inspired. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was doing yeah. an Andy Garcia riff, probably. Um, maybe he, the suave, debonair. Oh, okay. You know, pulled it off. Oh yeah, 
Yeah. yeah, I was totally blown away and surprised. Yeah. Also, one of the things I really loved about Adult Beginners was Nick Kroll's character. You think he's going to be this kind of sent? You know, the, the arc is they start off jaded, but eventually they become really sentimental and sappy. Mm-hmm. But his character kind of just, you know, without giving too much away, they, they don't go for the big moments in this movie. No. It's a very subtle mm-hmm. comedy. And when you think of Adult Beginners, you think, okay, kind of like an Arrested Development cutesy thing. But it has a little bit more substance than that. Yeah. So that comes out on, uh, on DVD and Blu-ray August 4th. That's so. tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. And also coming out tomorrow on DVD only is Into the Grizzly Maze. Okay, I want to hear about okay, this. Okay, here's the thing. <laughs> Bart the Bear is a grizzly, a killer grizzly in the grizzly maze. Bart the Bear. Okay, yeah, Bart the Bear. Okay. Okay, yeah. So the thing is there, there's been a lot of poaching going on in the Alaskan wilderness and a lot of bears have been killed and, and caught up in and traps and how timely is this movie given what's happening in the world with cecil the lion and oh, then the other totally. one yeah totally and james marsden plays this kind of drifter ex-convict who comes back into town and he's out to actually find a friend played by adam beach who's lost in the alaskan wilderness and you know i'm not gonna say what happens to adam beach's character but he comes back home his brother is a, a sheriff played by thomas jane and eventually, they're, they're brothers who don't like each other. That's kind of the subtext of the movie. But the, the thing is, they're tasked with hunting down this grizzly bear in the wilderness. Um, Piper Perabo mm-hmm. plays the wife of Thomas Jane, and it's their hunt. And they're kind of like – it's kind of like the edge meets the revenant kind of survival deliverance. Oh, Billy Bob Thornton plays this uh, tracker who's very eccentric. Kind of like the Robert Shaw character from Jaws. Okay. I'm not going to say they're copying, but it's maybe inspired by inspired, that. Inspired. Yeah. Like Jaws deliverance blend. Yeah. You, just like last week you were talking about how Southpaw has Rocky as its template. This yeah. movie has Jaws and maybe The Edge as its template. Okay. So, but, you know, it's out on DVD and the way it looks, it looks like a like it'd be a cheaply made B movie. Mm-hmm. But it's a well-made B movie. Because of the top line actors, Marsden, Jane, and oh, Perlman. Thomas Jane, I will see Thomas Jane in anything, especially Hung, right? Well, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe no, but it's a really, it's a really good film. My only complaint with the DVD, it's worth checking out. There are no real special features, and I would have loved to have seen, to Something. have heard. Yeah, just maybe the director talking about shooting in the area and how he got all of these. Scott Glenn's in it. He's this lawman who, of has, course, he is, who has an encounter with a bear. Doesn't really. It's not a really nice dance. So it, it's a really, it's a really cool film. So these are two movies that are coming out August fourth, and that's what I spent my Sunday doing. Oh well, the, I I spent my Sunday mm-hmm. seven hours doing live tweeting with TCM Party. So you were live tweeting. Where what were the movies that you guys were? Well, um, they, TCM in the month of August has started the Summer Under the Stars, and every okay. day they focus on a different star. Um, kicked off on Saturday with Gene Tierney. Yesterday was Olivia De Havilland. Today is Adolf Menju. Um, trying, mm. Who else do we have coming up? Fred Astaire, Teresa Wright, Michael Caine. I can't wait for Michael Caine Day. <laughs> um, Catherine Hepburn, Raymond Massey, Robert Walker. They try and find, get a lot of the wow. smaller stars also and showcase them. Yeah, Robert Walker is going to be a great day. Robert Wa- and Batan, Song of Love, 30 Seconds Over Tokyo, Madame Curie, Strangers on a Train are oh, just wow. some of the films just, wow. playing on his day. But yesterday, I picked up at the tail end of Gene Tierney. Oh. 
Yes. The tail end. The tail end of, the, of Gene Tierney Day okay. with Advise and Consent, the Otto Preminger right. uh, political thriller. That's, I mean, it marked Betty White's film debut. Oh, I had no idea. And now you know. All I know yeah. is I heard that Otto Preminger was one of the toughest filmmakers in Hollywood. Yeah. We've heard the stories. We, very talented, yeah. though. Very talented. But yes, definitely. But I started with that and then went into Heaven Can Wait. Mm. So with... Did you like that? Do you love that movie? Heaven Can Wait? Yeah. With Yeah, I do like that movie. Yeah. I do like that movie. I was surprised because I initially I saw think the... It's, I think it's Don Amici's... I think it's the best role of his career. It's a very complex role, too. And that movie isn't a comedy. It's really, in many ways, uh, very heartbreaking. It, it really is. So. But... Um, and I have to say, Lubitsch uh, directs it, and mm. uh, the director of photography, uh, cinematographer, was Ed Croninger. Uh, mm. And I got to—he is one of the pioneers. Like he uh, won an Oscar for Cimarron, okay. and when he shot Cimarron, he actually used twenty-seven cameras at one time and <laughs> two million feet of film shooting Cimarron. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So he was also the first uh, cinematographer to shoot cinemascope underwater. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. these guys, this is one reason that I love classic films, because this is where it all began. And the live tweeting is really cool. So live just... tweeting, anybody can join in. Mm-hmm. You've got uh, a lot of people. You've got guys like Alan Haight. You've got Kelly Pratt. Kelly, who's been on the show. Right. Aurora, who's done the show. Um, so many of uh, our TCM pals that we hook up with every year at the festival in person. But... You just use hashtag TCM party and you can jump in. And so many things we'll talk about costuming. We'll talk and we'll talk about lines of dialogue. And sometimes when it's very campy, you know, we'll do, okay, drink whenever this happens or, <laughs> you know, it's drink. But yes, right. yesterday were some interesting, interesting films. Um, it paired up Betty Davis and Olivia de Havilland in, in This Our Life, which is, it's a killer. It is a killer. Not literally, film. though, right? Literally. Oh, okay, literally. Oh, I, I've never as seen As well it, so. as Elizabeth and Essex. And one of the interesting things with those two films is the fact that uh, Ori Kelly did the costuming. So you have this ornate period piece for Elizabeth mm. and Essex uh, with de Havilland, Flynn. That was their fifth of nine films they did together. It was wow. Davis's first film, Betty Davis's first film in color. Wow, wow, yeah. So, and this is the kind of stuff that we impart and tweet about you know very quickly what's great is i've seen most of these classic films uh-huh. when i was in ninth eighth and ninth grade yeah. tenth grade and for people like you guys who are tweeting on tcm tcm party if i was a teenager i'd probably have my ipad looking at the news feed of tcm party while watching the film just as a, an educational tool mm-hmm. as well so and that's what we're all doing because we're going back and forth with each other and yeah. retweeting and commenting and favoriting and that's great. Yeah. So I have to join in. You have to. It is so much fun. And, you know, every once in a while, yeah. Ben Mankiewicz joins in. Ileana yeah. Douglas joins in. Okay, yeah. You know, Debbie Reynolds has even joined in one or two times. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, with just yeah. one or two little tweets. But right now, is this my fabulous future filmmaker, Carol Nien? Yes, it is. Hello. Hi, Hi, Carol. Hi, How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Fine. Welcome, welcome to Behind the Lens. I'm here with my cinematic cohort, Greg Srizavazdi. Greg has seen, has seen your short films as well. Hello. 
Uh, you're, you're, by the way, you're more talented than, than, than I ever will. So, will be. <laughs> oh, so. stop. <laughs> so, good job on the films. So, how exciting, because you've been actually had films in several film festivals. Yes. How exciting is it for you to, when, you get, when you find out that one of your films is in a festival? It's very exciting. I mean, as um, a youth filmmaker, we don't get a lot of opportunities to show our films on, like, such a huge screen. So I think every time that I get the opportunity, I, I'm so excited. So how excited were you at L.A. Film Festival when you got the Special Mention Award of the Edelized Future Filmmaker Award for How Do You Pronounce Foe? I really did not expect that because there were so many talented filmmakers there, and I was so giddy when I received the email. I wasn't able to make it in person because I had exams, boo, but I was just so giddy and jumping up and down. Well, good. I'm very glad. I mean... Look, any any short film that has food in it, and Maggie McKay with Film Independent, Maggie is the one that spearheaded the whole Future Filmmakers, and Maggie is the one that, that selected the recipients of the of the awards. I didn't get to pick. Boo hiss <laughs> on that. But, yeah, so it had fo- you had food. So when Maggie's picking and there's food involved, you got a pretty good shot. <laughs> But I mean, it's I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful little experimental film. You really implement. You've got, you know, your blurred focus background. You've got, you know, deep focus in the front. How do you go about? Let's talk about faux first, and then we're going to talk about your new one, Silent Mourners, that I am in love with. Thank you. Um, how do you go about d- doing your visual design for your films? Um, well, when I create a film, I usually think of the concept before I think of the image, mm-hmm. and I think the image usually arrives after. So um, when I was thinking about this idea, I came about the concept of food and how it's so universal, <laughs> and um, I really wanted this film to be very simple and not very, um, I guess, uh, busy. Mm-hmm. Because I wanted the viewer to focus more on the words that I was saying rather than the images. Now, tran- transitioning to Silent Mourners, what was the inspiration behind that as far as the concept and just creating that imagery for your film? Mm-hmm. Again, I usually start with the concept. So during the time, I was feeling um, pretty down. And um, my sister showed me this piece by Kendrick Lamar, and it was called Mortal Man from his album To Pimp a Butterfly, and there was one line that just really hit me, and it was, a caterpillar's job is to consume everything around it. And I felt like that was the perfect metaphor for what I felt at that moment, because at that moment in my life, and maybe I'm still trying to transition out of it, I felt like I was internalizing everything (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't able to project. I was just internalizing everything people told me, all my feelings, all my thoughts, and I just felt like I was that caterpillar. Well, I have to say, something I'm noticing with your work, Carol, in each of your films, you know, because I, I went through all of your, and everybody can look at Carol's films, at Carol Neone Films on YouTube, by the way. Go look at them. They are fabulous. But each one, you seem to focus on a different technical aspect silent mourners is very very visual but your sound 
you were right when you told me turn the sound up. It is fat. I turned it all the way up and put headphones on. Blew my mind. Thank you. Where did you come? And then this home is not empty. There again, you focus on a totally different kind of visual design and sound. You're not big on dialogue in your films. <laughs> you like these to, to be sensory, mm-hmm. is what I get with all of, the, all of your films. Is this by design? I think it's more of a personal um, decision for me. Um, I think um, maybe you can also see this in Silent Mourners, but I'm not um, quite confident with projecting these personal ideas quite yet. So I often hide them through a lot of like metaphors and imagery instead of just saying it straight up. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things I love about your work is the metaphor, is the tacit metaphor that you put forward. And I think that's a testament to you as a storyteller. And as far as I'm concerned, it just means that as you go on through your career, you're just going to get better and better. And your metaphors are going to deepen, I think. They're already pretty deep now. But I think, you know, you're where you're heading, because I see the growth in your work, too as we go from through each of your films. Thank you. you know, now, Silent Mourners, I have to know, did you use real caterpillars, and what friend did you get to lay there and put caterpillars all over her face? <laughs> I'm so thankful for my main actor. Um, she, she was a gem while I was working with her. Um, there were a lot of scenes where she was squirming, um, but I have to tell you, working with live creatures is so much harder than working with people. Because you can't direct them, so you just sit there and wait. Like that one scene when I wanted the butterfly's wings to be open on her face, Mm -hmm. we literally sat there for three hours until we got the perfect shot. Oh, my God. So that being said, within those three hours, are you a very demanding director on your your actors? (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would say... um, like a medium level. <laughs> cool. But you, now, you know, W.C. Fields always said, don't work with animals or small children. <laughs> you know, but when we think of animals, we think of like dogs, cats, horses, pigs. You're going for caterpillars and butterflies. Yeah. This- it was even harder because working with actors, you could just get rid of them after the film's done. <laughs> and I had to take care of these live creatures in my house, and my parents were upset, and I was like, I can't just, like, release them. They're going to die. <laughs> How did you get the butterflies onto the face and to stay there? Um, the lady who I bought the caterpillars off of and the butterflies, she suggested that we feed them orange Gatorade. So we just dabbed a little orange Gatorade on her face. Oh, I'm sure that that was a lovely facial exfoliant for the day. <laughs> you really, you've got one heck of an actor there. And who was your actor that, that went through all of this difficult stunt work for you? Her name is Maggie Keough. Oh, my God. Now, would you work with Maggie again? Would, b- better question, would Maggie work with you again? Sure, <laughs> but I would definitely work with Maggie again. You know, what in general right now, what inspires you about making films? Is it just creating 
telling the story or kind of everything? I think everything, um, and as cheesy or cliche as it may sound, film is like, film is a way for me to express what I can't say verbally Mm -hmm. and things that I can't say to other people or even to myself, I say film. Mm. And it's a, I think it's a confrontational moment, um, like maybe even a gesture of acceptance or coming to terms with something for me. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you about this home is not empty. Did you make all of the, the paper houses, the little paper, you know, the, the little diorama? Did you construct all of that yourself? Yes, I did. Oh, my God. I can't. I cannot recommend this highly enough for a really beautiful visual and your and the denatured soft blue you have. Absolutely stunning, and that's a, a textured paper like a papyrus you used, isn't it? Yes. Absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous Thank work, you. Carol. Dumb question. How long does that take to actually create all of this? <laughs> well, for a month straight, I came home from school. And I worked on that project until midnight, and that's how long it took. Wow. Wow. And that's before you even then start shooting. Yeah. What, do you, what kind of camera do you like to use when you shoot? Do you have a preference already? or? Um, well, I only have the Canon camera, the DSLR. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were to be presented with another camera, then <laughs> maybe I'd try that. But for now, that's all I have. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to tell you this. There are companies out there, like Red and some of the others, that often they will loan you equipment to go really? and sh- They will loan you equipment to shoot things. You know, and then you endorse, you know, you agree to, to talk about using the product and how great it is. That's what Kevin Smith does with Avid. <laughs> it's, he loves Avid, and he actually went to the uh, broadcasting convention in Vegas a couple years ago, biggest crowd they ever had, and gave a whole presentation on using Avid, and that's the only editing system he uses. And well, so, I'm not sure I'm on that prestigious level yet. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, there are companies that might start small. I actually have some contact info, and I'll email it to you. That would be great. So that you can, Do you have, is there a camera you'd like to try? Hmm. For some of I the, um, would like to try the more um, big known cameras in the industry, like the Red or mm-hmm. like the Black Magic. That would be really cool. I was going to say the Black Magic is an incredible, incredible camera. Um, especially the new ones. I mean, you can pick those up now for three thousand dollars. Yeah, Carol, I'm sure your your family's proud of whatever film you you do. But specifically, what was their reaction to this home is not empty the first time they saw your cut? Um, what? Um, yeah. I really don't exactly know what they thought. Hmm. I think they don't. They didn't really get the metaphor specifically. Um, my mom, she was like, well, so why did you burn the house down? Like, our house didn't burn down in real life. And I'm not that type of person to just explain it since it's very personal and very close to my family. So I was just like, well, 
it just did mom and just carried on. <laughs> um, <laughs> now what, what did mom, awkward conversation. <laughs> what did mom think about how do you pronounce foe, especially since you thanked her in the credits? Mm-hmm. She thinks it's her film. Mostly because she made the food and everything. So every time it won, it wins an award, she's like, my film won. <laughs> so, uh, so how many awards has Faux won now? A lot. I think about a dozen now. Wow. Wow. So now are you going to be submitting Silent Mourners to any film festivals? Yes. Um, but with experimental films, it's quite a toss-up because... Film festivals either love or hate experimental film. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Abs- uh, yeah, tell me about it. I've executive produced a couple experimental ones. They can't get in anywhere. So you're, you're <laughs> ahead of me in the game, Carol. You know, you're doing better than I'm doing. <laughs> so now, where will you be this fall? High school, college, what are you going to be doing? I'm entering my last year of high school. Which high school do you go to? I go to Etobicoke School of the Arts, and it's in Toronto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully um, I'll be attending maybe a school in New York for film the year after. Any f- any school in particular you're interested in? Um, I'm scoping out SVA, School of Visual Arts. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the prestigious schools are just way too expensive for me. Yes, American ed- higher education. It prices yeah. it prices you out. <laughs> it's buy a camera or go to school. Yeah. <laughs> so what do you have on your plate in terms of more films that you're going to be making uh, in your senior year? Um, well, I'm currently working on a film right now. I'm working on two projects, actually. So I don't want to look into the future just yet. Um, I'm working on... In post-production, I'm working on a film that I made um, at Prodigy Camp, if you've ever heard of that. I have. (laughs) And um, I'm currently in pre-production of a comedy film, my first ever comedy film that I'm co-directing with my friend. You're going to let me see both of them, aren't you? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Carol, I can't thank you enough for calling in. And when you finish your other films, I hope you'll call back in again so we can talk about them. I will. Thank Thank you you. so much, Carol. And I will email you that other information. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure, Carol. I'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Very focused. And we're going to take a short break so Jordan can change a battery. When we come back, we have... Eric on the line to talk, uh, Alex Johnson to talk about the wonderful two-step. Behind the Lens is sponsored in part by the Culver City Observer. Located in the heart of Screenland, Culver City Observer is available in print and online at www.culvercityobserver.com. And we are back to Behind the Lens. I'm Debbie Lynn Elias. MovieSharkDeblore.com, sitting here to my right, is the incomparable cinematic cohort, Greg Srizavazdi, DeepestDream.com. I am comparable, by the way. Okay, fine. (laughs) All right, whatever. We just had a lovely conversation with L.A. Film Festival Future Filmmaker, one of the winners of Ed Elias Future Filmmaker Award, Carol Nguyen, calling from Toronto. See, people think we're joking when we say we've got people all over the world. 
And like we said, she's a very focused filmmaker. Oh, my God. She doesn't waste time. No. I mean, she is a visionary, and I can't wait to see what what the future holds for Carol. And it's great that we're getting, we get to talk to these kids and meet them now at the beginning of their careers so that years from now we'll be able to say, oh, I knew you when. But now we have another director here that we'll be able to say one day, oh, we knew him when, Alex Johnson. Welcome. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I'm good. That was uh, I was just I was, you know I was just listening to the uh, delayed show and then to come in on that line. It's uh, thank you. <laughs> Two step. This is this is a, an atmospheric. It's a well crafted atmospheric moody thriller that just it, it just engrosses you. It draws you in, and the fact that you have Beth Broderick, who I think is so so underrated as an actress thrilled me to no end she's great she's so we're so lucky that she was in austin um and she's still in austin um but uh, i didn't know she was there and my casting director told me and was like no question let's just go talk to her right now oh my god yeah and yeah and people don't realize that they think of beth and they think of comedy most people remember her from sabrina the teenage witch as Anne hilda mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but she has so much depth and texture to her, and you really sh- brought that out with her performances. Dot in two step. Thank you. She she dug the role, and um, and Dot was a really important character to me. It was a lot of fun to write, and uh, when we first talked about it, she 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 got it and 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 knew where she could take it beyond what I did. So uh, I was very excited. Well, in addition to Beth, you also bring in veteran Barry Tubb, who's been around forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but then you balance their veteran expertise with the relative newcomers, Sky Moore and James Landry Hebert. Yes, a bear, a bear, a bear, a bear. Yes, a bear, um, a bear. Easy to remember once you hear it. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm watching this and I'm watching James and uh, and all I can think of is, oh my God, he's reminding me of Joe Anderson's performance in Supremacy. Hmm. Interesting. I mean, he really, as Webb, he just dove right in with brutality and a slick brutality, though. There's a slickness that turns to brutality, and you see that simmer under the surface. And I think a lot of that is a testament to your script, which where where did a story like this come from? Well, I, you know, I just moved to Austin um, from uh, from. 18 years in New York, in Brooklyn. And um, so there was definitely kind of the just absorbing of Texas and mm-hmm. uh, what, what it was all new to me. So it was, it was very exciting. The, the grandparents scam that sort of starts, starts the plot going, something I've been holding on to uh, literally since I think 89. I think I saw it on 2020, you know, just a, a little, little story about that. And I've always thought it was an interesting scam. Um, but when I got older, um, kind of the, the depth of it and the additional layers of sadness of, of the scam in order for the scam to work, you know, that you need the grandparent to to want to t- really desperately need to want to talk to their, their grandkid. Um, so um, the um, – sorry, I just sent something to voicemail, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so um, – uh, uh, and, and, and then also moving to Texas after living in apartments for three years. I talk about this a lot. 
I just got obsessed with the fact that I only had one door to my house. Um, I'm used to apartments with multiple doors, and you just false sense of security, fine. But the idea that, okay, someone could just kick this door down. So uh, besides obsessing about home invasion and the usual spiders and things like that when you first moved to Austin, um, I, um, uh, it all just kind of came together and just kind of gelled. Uh, in by being in Texas at the time, and, and it just sort of developed organically from there. Now, when you, when you were writing uh, and this and the story was coming together, were you did you know that you would direct it, and were you visualizing the scenes in your head and making your sh- and starting to make uh, shot lists or storyboards with some visual notes? Definitely, yeah, definitely. I wasn't doing any storyboards, but I was writing. I was writing for me, as you know. I. I mean, we, we had been trying to make another film for about three years, and um, it was a frustrating process, and we had, we had money, and, um, um, but, it's a, but it's a much more complex uh, production. Mm-hmm. It takes place all in the Andes, and um, we, we kept getting name actors, bigger, big name actors attached that really wanted to do it, but kind of the nightmare of uh, uh, shooting around a rainy season and name actor schedules just became so... Uh, just we were never going to make film, you know, <laughs> and so I had started writing Two Step, and I just didn't tell anybody that I wanted to. Uh, the plan was basically to write Two Step and then convince all parties, financial and otherwise, um, to invest in this, um, and it, it worked out. Um, so I was writing for myself. So I, I, I write pretty descriptive, visual um, direction in, in my script, and I, you know, agents and managers tell me not to. Um, but 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 I like it. It helps me, and I think it makes the reading a more enjoyable experience. Personally, well, when you know that you, when you're writing it for yourself to direct, I think it makes perfect sense as long as you don't go overboard and have pages of visual description. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Not Wait. nothing like that. But just if, if you know where camera movement's important, um, framing's important. Um, you know, where it's important to how I want to present it, then certainly I, I, I put it in there. You know, just from watching your film, I was thinking about you as a movie fan. It seems to me that you maybe, and this is just a guess, maybe you grew up on some of the great film noirs and thrillers of yesteryear. Was that true, or was this just a a story that just, like you said, just came organically and you just delved into the genre? Well, I think think that's true for sure. And, you know, I studied film theory and, and had romantic visions of, you know, teaching and wearing you know, patches on my elbow and <laughs> writing writing screenplays every now and then. Um, and then I discovered, you know, how harsh the world was and um, got a real job. Um, but I um, and, and realized I couldn't just write screenplays and teach and it wasn't going to happen that way. <laughs> but I certainly, I, I really, I, that was a, when I was doing uh, film studies, that's what that I obsessed over, over that stuff. I love that stuff. And then it's just very hard to not, you know, there is uh, Texas Noir is almost its own right. thing, mm-hmm. and Blood Simple was a film that was very important to me. You know, I think I saw it. Uh, you know, I was a teenager in D.C. at the time, and um, it just resonated with me, and it always stuck with me. And it's hard to not kind of get into that, especially when you get into Texas. You know, you just you just want to tell a story in that language. Um, it's it's addictive. And le- how did Andrew Lillian, your your DP, come to you? Because and the the visuals are beautiful and they're very nuanced. You know, down to the little twinkle lights, the neons backlit mm-hmm. with a deep focus in the bar. 
you know, with the birds on the phone, on the telephone wires, which mm-hmm. probably half the country won't even know what that is. But, yeah. <laughs> but all these little details, but then the lighting is very Texas specific as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Andy is um, uh, someone I've worked with a lot on commercials. I'm, I, you know, I've been in production my whole adult life. Um, uh, I started at Maisel's in 94 as a PA mm-hmm. and, you know, ended up, you know, working my way, up, my way up to producer for commercials and documentaries and at, for, at different other production companies. But Andy's someone that I've always, always hire whenever I get the chance. And, and, and I, I just, uh, I never worked with him where I was the director. I'd only worked with him where I was the producer. But I've, but I've hired him on tiny jobs and large jobs. And I just saw that constant commitment, you know, no matter what the budget, no matter what it was, when Andy was on the job, he was committed and um, I loved his eye and uh, we had been talking for a long time about working together. And um, so once we knew we were going to do it, I, I sent it to him and he said, yep, I'm in. Um, And we shot on the Alexa, um, which which he was one of the first, I think he was one of the first uh, owners in, 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 on the East coast. Uh, I mean, in New York owner operators, and so he knows that camera. He knows the subtleties of it. He, he knows both the science and the art of it. And um, so he knows what he can do with it. And um, so beyond just the eye, the framing, uh, his knack for lighting, um, he knew um, ways we could move fast. We, you know, we did a lot of lighting with just practicals, mm-hmm. um, you know, setups where we could just uh, flip things pretty easily. Um but yeah, he's great. He's a wonderful DP, and um, you know, when, and, and another great choice that Andy made. And I'm not going to have, I'm not going to know the lenses exactly, but you know, we were talking about about the Alexa and, and, and about shooting it, and uh, you know, he made the very smart uh, recommendation that we go with some older lenses, so we just don't have the uber crisp edges. Mm-hmm. around everything. You yeah, know? So I was going to say, feels like it has some texture. It looks like you were shooting with some anamorphics. Uh, it, yeah, we, we we didn't, but 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 yeah, we uh, we certainly uh, uh, were influenced by that with what we had. Um, yeah. um, we thought about going anamorphic, and we didn't. And just very but, quickly, your sound design is fantastic. It's another character in the narrative. How important mm-hmm. generally was sound design in capturing that kind of, I guess that that bed in in your narrative? Talk about that. Process. Well, you, yeah. I obviously, you know, as a filmmaker, you know, sound design is important, but I. We were so lucky um, to have Sonic Magic um, do our sound design. They fell in love with the film, and you know we had a limited budget, and they they wanted to help us, and so uh, they worked with our budget and 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 just did such an amazing job um, to the point where you know they're it's really I mean it's obvious they're obviously their specialty, um, but just the, they were. They, the little little things they did that just heightened every scene were just incredible. Um, mm. You know, funny thing when we were when I was uh, listening to one of the mixed downs and we got to the to one of the more brutal um, scenes, and I was not I was having trouble with the scene, <laughs> and uh, and I said I was like, could we could we could we de tomato squish the face punch sounds just by like twenty percent. <laughs> And um, they laughed and said I was in denial of the movie I had made. But um, 
But yeah, it's incredible, and it really does it heighten. I mean, it's actually it's a combination of the sound design and the score because there are, there are times yeah. where the score does kind of similar psychological sound design stuff. Um, so we, I, I knew that we had to really fill out the sound, fill mm-hmm. fill fill people's ears. Yeah, I mean, and the score. I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, it's it, the score does not run beginning to end. It's very judiciously placed. And then you've got a Western vibe, but oftentimes a slight techno edge to it that just drives mm-hmm. the thriller aspect home that I found quite interesting and worked really well with the visual and the emotional tonal bandwidth. Thank you. And that was Ken F. Andrew Kenny, um, who did the score as his first score. Um, he had worked with me on some shorts, and I had hired him for some commercial work before, but, um, but it was his first score, and he, you know, Use the phrase. He knocked it out of the park. He did an amazing job. Well, hire the, hire the man again. <laughs> I know. This time I'll pay him, right? <laughs> Alex, I can't thank you enough for joining us today. I hope you will call back again when we have a lot more time. We can talk about some of your projects. I'd love to. Oh, I mean, an absolute thrill. And Two Step is in theaters now. Lim- yep. Limited it- release. When's it going digital and uh, DVD Blu-ray? Uh, uh, September 1st is uh, VOD on demand, I mean, everywhere on all platforms. Uh, DVD is, 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 is not, there's no date yet, but I think uh, we're going to have to do that. Well, I think so. And maybe after we get on VOD, you can call back and we can spend more time talking about the film. I would love to. Thank you for having me. Oh, Alex, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, guys. Thank you. Take care. Okay, and now we are going to jump. Are you going to help me with this, Brian? Okay, you know me and buttons. I can't do buttons. <laughs> I can't do buttons. Save the day. And now, they look like people. And really, if you watch this movie, they really do. Evan, Dumichel, and McLeod Andrews. Are Hi, you- how's it going? Hello, boys. How Hi. are you? So, Great. Uh, very well. Now, do you, do, you still, do you look like people today? or Hardly. <laughs> Hardly. Yeah, I look a little bit like a Yeti today. I've been letting my beard grow out for a few weeks there. So. Well, why not? You're not shooting right now, are you? Right. You know, so, so you're, not only are you the lead actors, two of the only actors in the film as Christian and Wyatt, but you're also producers. Correct. How do you produce yourselves? For those that, that have not okay. had this experience yet. Well, uh, well, I'd, I'd, I'd ahead, venture this, I'd venture to say uh, we probably approach it in a pretty unique way. That's maybe not for everyone uh, to to be general about it with uh, a whole lot of teamwork and uh, and uh, good communication um, to sort of pool our limited resources and just uh, you know bang it out. Well, bang. yeah, I think. On the front end, I mean, there was a certain amount of planning that we had to do. And then when we got into shooting itself, um, I think that our, our primary focus in the in the midst of the shooting days had to be on our performances, always with an ear to what it is that you're trying to get done and, and keeping yourself on task in the schedule. I mean, I think it, it really came into play when Margaret Drake would be on set and McLeod and I would be rehearsing our lines the night before, but also making sure that we had all the peanut butter and jellies in place for our lunch the next day. (laughs) I mean, it's the glamorous side of producing and acting at the same time. Okay, I'm just surprised that your budget allowed for you to have peanut butter and jelly. (laughs) 
<laughs> Some days we had yeah. to skimp. Oh, you know. It was like, do we want to have the prop basketball or do we want PB&J? Oh, that, that's a tough call. And, of course, you know, how did this project e- come to you? This is uh, Greg and I were talking about this earlier at the top of the show. And when I watched this, I kept thinking of Shane Carruth's primer uh, back from 2004, which sure. blew my mind and set up this whole this whole psychological ideal that makes you think. And that's exactly what we see unfolding here with Perry Blackshear's script and through his direction and his editing and his cinematography. Um, that, also yep. hel- that also helps on low budget, no budget, when you have a director who does everything. What, Absolutely. Yeah. How did That's this, indispensable. I mean, how, that was... How did this come to you guys? Because this is not a run-of-the-mill storyline. Evan, I think yeah. uh, you could probably answer that. Um, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, the story itself came to Perry through a personal experience. He had a, a good friend of his who went through a similar, though less dramatized, version of um, Wyatt's arc in the film. Um, and, you know, Perry was there for him in, in reality as much as he could, but really was thinking about how we should all be available for people on the larger scale and how sometimes we aren't, particularly New York, where people have their knives out all the time and they're afraid of getting hurt or hurt again and protecting themselves and, and really trying to tell a story about people who open up to one another and show up for one another. Um, and then practically speaking, McLeod and I... Um, have known of Perry's genius for a long time and really, really wanted to work together. Um, and so I took it upon myself as a friend and also uh, a badger, and we we really worked it into Perry's head that we can do this and that we can make this happen. And then he stepped up to the plate and presented us with plane tickets, and the rest is history. You know, he wrote the script in just a few weeks, and we had tickets, and we had dates, and we had time off of work, so it was time to make a movie. Wow. How did you decide who would be Christian and who would be Wyatt? I think we just let uh, Perry yeah. cast it. What? Yeah. He, he sort of wrote it with us in mind and had sort of, uh, you know, was envisioning us in those specific roles as he wrote it, I think. Am I forgetting anything, Evan? Well, just that, you know, even even that was up for discussion in the beginning as he was writing it. I remember... Um, originally, in the very preliminary conversations I've been talking with Perry about, um, like, character arcs and characters we get to play in other projects and how we want to play characters that are different than that in, um, in what we make together. And I know that, for me, I had said, you know, I, I, I tend to try to play these um, moody, dark characters. I'd like to play, I'd like to play a character um, who exists in the, in the sort of, um, available plane to society, um, although the phrasing of that sentence places me other than. Um, <laughs> but I think you get where I'm going with that. Now, that was poetic, man. Hey, well, Thanks, ta- man. well about- it's in perpetuity on the radio. Hey, <laughs> hey, because, yes, this will be archived. It will be on the iTunes podcast. It will be on my website. It will be on the Adrenaline Radio. And it's being videoed, so... It'll be everywhere. There's a camera in my hotel room? There's two of them, actually. There's actually two of them. But, you know, nobody knows that. They'll find out later. Now, what is it, what is it about the script? Because the way the script is written, the way you guys play the film, it's, you know, is, is Wyatt going crazy? 
is something really happening? You really walk that fine line between fact and fiction, reality and and psychotic breakdown. Thank you. What what spoke to you when you read this script? Um, I think uh, the the biggest things that uh, rang, uh, you know, that were recognizable for us were just, um, you know, the elements of trust that are engendered in long-time friendships because we've all, the three of us, um, have all been friends for a long time, and Evan and I have been friends for uh, a long time. And and I think just the, the length to which you're willing to put yourself out there for a friend who needs your help uh, was, I think, incredibly resonant. And uh, in, in no small part, because in a large way, we were doing that very thing by making this film together. We were all taking a leap of faith with, together and putting a lot of trust in each other and uh, going on a, a, you know, kind of crazy, stressful journey together. Um, and we came out we came out the other side. And so I think that kind of worked its way. That just very fact of how we were making the movie worked itself into the narrative. And uh, I think that was really resonant for the three of us. Mm-hmm. Now, what is it just like acting opposite a great friend, especially during some of the more emotional sequences in the narrative was that an easy process or was that something that you guys had to work out um you know it's funny mcleod and i are are both actors although we we have tended up until this project to work with each other in ways other than i mean i've directed mcleod in a play and I've, i've seen a bunch of his work but i haven't had the chance to work with him as much as i would have liked and so we both showed up and i remember one day mcleod sort of looked at me he's like man, you're bringing it. And I was like, of course I am, man. And then we both realized that we were there to to do it for real. And, and we could, sure, we could use our relationship um, that exists outside. You, you can't help but do that. But um, it was our first chance to really play together. And so in some ways it was wonderful and, and liberating and um, safe to work with one another. And then in some ways it was like a whole unexplored frontier because we hadn't done much of it together before. Yeah. Well, I just hope the two of you work together again on screen because you play so well together. Oh, thank you. Oh, thanks. We hope that, too. You're, yeah, you're we mo- have plans. We have plans. Your moms would be very happy that you share the sandbox. <laughs> yeah. Now, and they are. <laughs> now, the film already showed its slam dance, but now Sunday night you're going to be... The film will be on the great big screen at the Arclight in Hollywood as part of the Arclight Slam Dance Cinema Club. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, you're not Sunday, having... Sunday, August 9th at 8 p.m., folks. Yeah, of course, right. you're not having me moderate your Q&A, but, you know, we won't go there. <laughs> we won't go there. Off That's the right choice, by the way. That's the right choice. <laughs> <laughs> Just want to throw that out there. <laughs> Just kidding. I think she's doing great here. Okay, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love moderating the Cinema Club stuff, but I won't hold it against you that, you know... You didn't want me to do yours. You know? <laughs> I'm just going to guilt you. That's all I'm going to do. I, I, I know I'm feeling that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's hot. How exciting yeah. is it for you? Because you've seen this on the slam dance screens. They don't compare to the arc light screen. Have you seen the film yet on something with the sound that the arc light has with a screen that is that big, that beautiful, that pristine? Well, um, 
I don't. I don't think we have uh, seen it with something as good as the arc light. We, I, I saw another one of the slam dance screening series. Uh, I saw Yosemite mm-hmm. there a couple weeks ago, and it's just uh, the theaters are so beautiful. Yeah. The screen is so sharp and clean and and really great, and the sound is excellent. Um, I'm at Fantasia right now in Montreal, and we just screened last night in a fantastic theater uh, with really great sound, and that was a really special experience. We had a full house, and it was pretty remarkable and and unique, Um, but I I can't even begin to imagine what it's going to be like to be sitting in the place where I go to to see movies, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm that's, really excited. that's a touchstone for me. I just keep on thinking that I go to see movies at this place, and my movie is going to be playing here. It's, it, it, you know, it sends me for a spin. It's great. Well, everybody needs to get tickets. I know there are still tickets available, but as good as this film is, and as popular as the two of you are, I don't think tickets are going to be available too much longer. So people need to go to arclightcinemas.com, and they can buy them now, guarantee their seat for Sunday night. And, of course, there is a, there, there's that really great sushi place right there, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Sea, right? <laughs> sushi sea or something? Uh, oh, the blue sushi, whatever that one is. But, you know, it's, so you can, they can make, it, make a night of it. And, Absolutely. Oh, yeah. There's great bars all around. That that's true. That one drink, including in the lobby of the ArcLight, if if uh, you really don't want to go too far. And of course, you know, one drink will be more than half of the budget for the film. So that it will amaze it will amaze people even more what you guys pulled off. The beautiful production design. The production design. Your production values are stunning. Yep. Stunning. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll, I'll pass that along to Perry. Perry. He's I up mean, here with Perry, me. Perry is really a master. Uh, you know, it just makes me think about the lighting, um, and you know, he he would know the the color values and the wattages of the standard household bulbs that you could buy in certain places, and and put them in such a way to light our scene to look like a like a beautiful film, which it is. Um, with you know what he can buy at the hardware store, it's, it's really a special skill. And guys, I am getting the we are running over time now, and they're going to kill me in a minute. So, okay. thank you so much for joining us. Maybe I'll even come see you Sunday night. They look like people. And Evan and McLeod, thank you. And I will see thank you guys you. soon. Thank and you. that's it for Behind the Lens, guys. All right. All right. Thank, thank you so much. Bye. Bye-bye.